Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to drlauribethbisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I have spent the last 30 plus years working with people to help them create and maintain amazing sexual relationships and romantic relationships without shame. I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And today the letter is J and J is for jealousy and envy. And with me today, I have the incredible Raheem Thauer and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Thanks so much, Dr. Beth Bisbee. My name is Raheem Thauer. My pronouns are he and him. I'm normally based in Toronto, Canada. The last year I have been in South Africa as an international visiting scholar at the South African College for Applied Psychology. Um, I'm continuing my clinical work remotely and working on some writing projects. This last year I've written about LGBTQ Muslim mental health, about shame and sexuality, and most recently, about the matrix of envy in our social and sexual lives. So thanks for having me. My pleasure. And so at the end of the show, we'll make sure that all the details you need to find him are there. Um, I highly recommend, in addition to the stuff we're talking about today, to go and look at the stuff that you've written on um, LGBTQ intersection with Muslim life, because that's been really mm-hmm. amazing and there's not a lot out there. And it's it's really informative in it. And guys, his writing is really accessible. Because sometimes when I have professionals on here, like myself, people are like, oh, but I go to try and read it and there's you know too much jargon and stuff like this. His writing is really accessible. So do give it a try whether or not you're in the field. So this that is article, the biggest compliment. Thank you. <laughs> And I think it's really important. You know, I think it's really important because a lot of times, um, you know, people recommend things and then the feedback is, well, I couldn't make sense out of that. I only want to write things that make sense to lots of people. (laughs) It's the only way to do it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I want people to be able to use what I write. So I actually actually work hard on that. I think when you um, train, as long as we do, and you're surrounded by people who are using the same um, jargon, it can sometimes be hard to actually think, okay, is this gonna be communicating when I speak in whatever language you're actually writing in? Mm -hmm. So this article was amazing. Um, And one of the things that I found so cool about it is that I often, people will hear me talk about, I get asked about jealousy all the time when I'm talking about Mm non-monogamy. I think it's the number one question I get asked is don't you get jealous? Um, uh-huh. And I don't. And um, part of my understanding of that it has to do with where I think jealousy in non-monogamy comes from, um, mm-hmm. which is about um, that fear that you will lose out, right? That the person's going to find the other person more attractive, more interesting, more something. It's a very monogamy based 
thought process that you can only have one, therefore they're right. going to be better than you and, and they're going to go. So I always talk about it being like that when you're secure in yourself and you're secure in the relationship, jealousy isn't as much of an issue anymore. Right. Because, because those things aren't there. But I always say, but I do occasionally experience envy. <laughs> And I don't see people talk about envy much. And I've always said that when I experience envy, um, I give one example. It came out in a newspaper article this week, literally, like last night, I think. that the uh -huh. article did. And she quoted me and I said, you know, one of the times that I, re I remember best experiencing envy was we were at an event and we hadn't had the chance to play together in a really long time. My husband and I, it had been a crazy year, mm. health problems and all of that. And, and we like our play and we hadn't had a chance. So we're at this event and I was looking forward to, to it as being the time we would get to play. I was really excited. And I ended up working the event. Oh. So here I am interviewing people and, and ending up doing emergency sessions and things like this. And he goes off and plays with somebody else. And I was yeah. really upset by that. I didn't, it wasn't about the other person. I could have cared less about the other person. It, it's almost this terrible thing to say. It's almost like they didn't exist, right? The issue was yes. you got to have fun and I did not. Yes. And that is envy. Envy is very much about two people. It's dyadic, right? It's you have something or you possess something that I wish I had. Or, you know, you're if we're talking about physical attributes or achievements or accolades, it might be something another person possesses that you wish you had. And even though, you know, it is something they have, usually the object or the target of the envy becomes the person who possesses. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, it makes sense that you were envious of, of your, of your partner because he got, he got access to something that you didn't. Yeah. Um, and it's fair to be upset about that. I would be upset too. Um, it's interesting though, that you don't experience jealousy even time, from time to time in, in the context of an open relationship. Um, can I ask you, why, why do you suppose that is? Or have there been times where you did experience jealousy and you've kind of worked your way through it so you don't experience it as much anymore? Yeah, so uh, what I say to people is, um, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, Yes, but I've been yeah. with him 13 and a half years. So I think mm. when, when I was less secure about my place in the relationship, jealousy was the thing. Uh, other times that I've experienced yes. jealousy in life with other partners, when I'm less secure about myself and I compare myself to the uh, another person, jealousy is mm -hmm. a thing. For me, jealousy is, and, and when I work with clients, I see a lot of this, it's often very much around that comparator, right? Um, and, and that kind of competition and how you see yourself within the relationship. Do you feel stable? Like your relationship is stable and yes. do you feel you measure up. And if you, any, either mm. of those, if the answer is no, then jealousy becomes a big issue. Um, but for me, it's, it's something I worked through within this relationship, but envy is something that's episodic in such a different way that, you know, that's much more likely to rear its head. Yeah. You know, I like that you brought up the word episodic because I think that some people can have like a kind of dispositional envy mm -hmm. and way more people probably have an episodic experience of envy, but there's a similar parallel in the world of jealousy. People talk about uh, reactive jealousy and suspicious jealousy. Yeah. So it's similar in that one is more when, when it comes to jealousy, it's about um, a threat, a threat to your relationship yes. or threat to losing something you already kind of have or possess. And so reactive jealousy makes sense. It's very evolutionary, right? It, it wakes you up. It makes you think, do I need to pay more attention to my partner? Am I not meeting my partner's needs? Um, is our communication on track? There are some like adaptive functions to jealousy. But if it's more of a suspicious jealousy where you have this idea um, or like a, a, a belief that you're operating under that somebody will uh, cheat on you or somebody will mistreat you and you're always looking for that, that can be quite 
toxic, right? It's similar to a dispositional envy, except envy is about uh, comparing yourself to someone else and being reminded of what you don't have and feeling inferior. Whereas uh, a suspicious envy is about, sorry, a suspicious jealousy is about um, always worrying that someone will leave you or somebody else, a third person will intervene and take something from you. Yeah, so if you're in non, if you're trying to do non-monogamy and you've got more of a dispositional jealousy, you've got a problem. And you've if- got a problem. And you know, go ahead. One thing I noticed with oh yeah, with a lot of younger, <laughs> younger queer folks in particular, it's it's so like popular to say I'm non-monogamous or I'm poly, or people love to say I'm poly non-hierarchical. And I I'm very, at the outset, I want to believe them, but I'm, I also tread lightly because I think those things are hard to accomplish. They, they sound nice, but it's not easy. And you have to really figure out, am I a good candidate to be in an open relationship? That doesn't mean I don't experience jealousy or I don't experience envy, but do I have the tools to talk about it, identify it, contain it, you know? And work through it. I mean, so you raised hierarchy here, and I think that's really important. It's really yeah. popular. It's really popular to say that everything should be equal, but here's reality: everything is never equal, right? And actually, that's not what people want anyway, because they want to be special. They don't want to be equal, yes. right? If they're equal, nobody's special. Yeah. Like they want to be special. <laughs> so what they're really saying is that person's getting more special stuff than I am, and I want to get the special stuff. Not you know, we want to be equal. And um, mm. I'm. I I remember some time ago talking with um, a friend of mine um, and um, she brought up sweat equity. This was some years ago. And I love this term, right? When sweat equity is the equity you get in a relationship just by being there and going through things with your partner. And the idea that some person could just come in and my partner would give them equal time and equal priority um, over me, who's been there for 13 and a half years, is silly. Mm-hmm. Like, even if we weren't higher, we are hierarchical because we're in a power exchange, but we would be hierarchical anyway. I think when you live with somebody, it's much more common to prioritize that person because you're sharing bills with them and, and you're with them day to day. So I'm always a little bit concerned when somebody tells me, Yes, you know, we're poly and we're non-hierarchical and, and they're in their, their 20s. And Yes, look, I totally agree. I think we need to, like people, they need to assess their environment and the conditions that they're, they've created. So some people have created conditions that are conducive to non-hierarchical polyam relationships, right? For example, we're all living together or we're all living yes. separately. We've decided what protected time is versus, you know, time with other people. Um, you know, we've evaluated and talked about what it means that I met this person first and you met that person first. Yeah. What's hard is like, if you think it's a good idea and you idealistically want to be non- non-hierarchical and you preemptively call yourself that, it could just be like, it creates the conditions for a lot of unhealthy jealousy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, yeah. and we're and in I, agreement. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think one of the one of the problems is is that, and I think this is true with NB2, we don't look at this stuff easily. You know, it, it's um and well, I think that's probably traditional for any negative, perceived negative characteristic. You know, we don't look at it easily mm-hmm. and own it easily. Um, so when I say I'm envious and people are like, Oh, how can you say that? Well, because it's, you know, it's just part of life to experience these emotions. And, you know, at any given time, where are you? But we don't look at these things easily. And so when we make statements like, uh, particularly things around egalitarianism and non-hierarchical situations, if we're not willing to look at the negative bits that can come up, those are not sustainable situations. So mm. then you end up with a lot of mess underneath. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I like people to try to avoid. If we're going to have mess, let's have it right out in the open. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's have it all out in the open. And there's also, you know, we talk about 
communication in our present day relationships sometimes as though it's the be all and end all. Like if there's communication, then all the problems are resolved. And I would say if there's communication, A, it means there's a lot of self-awareness and B, it just means that the information is out there. There's like more transparency with your partner. It doesn't mean the problem itself is resolved, right? It just means you're able to articulate the problem, which is, which is important, but that, that doesn't mean resolution or that doesn't mean a resolution that's satisfying to everybody either. You have to work it through in order to resolve it. And some things are not always resolvable. So one of the places that I think I see more envy episodically and it can become, dis- yes. I love this idea of dispositional because I certainly know people whose whole lives are around what other people have, do, and yes. are. And, you know, yeah. you hear it's like, so I had bad luck and that's why, and, or this, that, and the other. And none, no, no focus on what they actually have, do, or are. It's all out there. But I yes. see a lot of folks where, when you've got three, I'm, I'm a, I have a thing about the number three. <laughs> I always tell <laughs> yeah. people like threesomes and triads and things are actually much harder than four or even numbers are much easier to, to manage. Yes. It's much easier. I've heard you say that. Yeah. Because on television. Somebody, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? But it's not because it's not about somebody being left out. And, and three is actually quite a difficult number to negotiate. And you get people who are in relationships with um, particularly committed couples, with married couples, even if they've gone in as a single, not wanting that relationship, Mm -hmm. they don't want to be married. They don't want to be living with them. In the day-to-day play out and end up envying the time, the flexibility that the person in the couple might have the person they're not involved absolutely might have yeah and you know there i think that's where the overlap of envy and jealousy can arise right if i am a single third party and i am meeting a couple whom you know i presume at the very least on the outside has a very stable sound relationship the jealousy can come in at times when I, if I feel left out, even though I know that part of that is logistics um, and the envy can be when I compare myself to them, like what they have versus what I have or don't have, right? So there, there can be an overlap there. Um, I think that like the key things people need to think about when they're distinguishing between envy and jealousy is what is the reaction that comes up for you? So with envy, you're going to do a lot of comparison. Mm. Um, What do I have? What do I not have? Should I compete? Um, Do I want to be resentful of the other person? Do I want to um, be greedy? Or do I want to use what they have as a motivation for what I should get? On the other hand, jealousy is, there is a bit of comparison, but it's more about, um, it's more about a fear of being alone, losing out, being overlooked. Uh, And it's really about losing something you already have, you know? So even in early childhood, when I I see my therapy clients, I always ask about childhood relationships. I'm so curious about what it was like having a sibling. And if you were the older sibling, how did life change when the younger sibling came about, right? That is going to it doesn't, this isn't about whether your parents are good or bad. It's about how you experienced having to share someone else's attention. The attention you once got is now being demanded by somebody else. It's normal and natural for you to experience jealousy. And if you experience that in childhood, it's going to show up in adulthood. And we just have to be mindful of that. Well, and I I think also, you know, you can experience it in childhood, it can show up in adulthood, and then you can work on it so that it isn't your primary mode of being. But if you don't know yes. that it's there, um, I mean, you know, they, you know, I, I was the oldest and I have two brothers, and, but they tell stories about what I was like with my first, the, the next one down when he was born, you know, like squeezing uh-huh. him really hard and going, I love my brother, you know, while I squeezed him so hard, it was obviously hurting him <laughs> because I've been told that this is my brother and I was supposed to love him, right? 
But now yes. I was getting the attention that I was getting. And that was definitely a thing. And that's so normal. I mean, one of the things that you hope that parents can do is give you the tools to start working with that, to start managing. That. Absolutely. And may and remind you that you're you're good enough, right? So if you're right. a child and parents are spending more time with the newborn, they might have to say things to you like, you're you're the big sibling now you get more responsibility so you know we we have to not make the older sibling feel like a nuisance or like they're an extra threat but we have to pull them in in a way where they have a, a role and a responsibility to help care for this younger child that way they feel just as important right and it helps mitigate the jealousy and convert it into something helpful like we all have a role that's that's a nice message to receive and so many people don't feel good enough. I mean, the number of people that I'm sure you experience this with therapy clients that at one of the big things at the root of the issues that they bring in is that a deep abiding sense of not being enough. Yes. You know, and I'm a therapist and I work with people who struggle with these core beliefs and foundational schemas around not being enough, not being desirable. And I help them work through it. And I also struggle with the same thing, you know? And I think it's, um, we just, we live in a world where competition and comparison is how products are sold to us. There's a false kind of um, promise that if you buy goods, you'll look like the person who is selling the product. Um, and there's certain kinds of aesthetics, whether it's relationship models or body types um, or green eco-friendly foods. These are, these are all things that are being sold to us and make us, they, you're made to think that you'll be a better human <laughs> if you buy this thing. Yeah. And it just feeds into this idea, well, if I can't or if I don't, then I'm inferior or I'm not good enough. And that's I, kind of a hard thing to grapple with. It is. I mean, you know, so it's certainly something that, I mean, certainly something that I've grappled with over the years on and off, depending on, on when, yes. um, I think anybody who doesn't, um, conform to the standard, um, beauty model, um, yeah. um, and anybody who is other in any way, even though mm. most of us are other, if we think about it, but anybody who is not, yes. um, heteronormative, not, um, cis white not you know at some point we'll grapple with that because the message absolutely the message there's a constant message of not good enough and it's always interesting to me when people are working on this um where where they're drawing from so um looking at for example people who want to get surgery to change their appearance for whatever reason what is it yes. you think that that surgery is going to give you when you finish what will it do Absolutely. when you finish will you actually be happy with who you are now mm -hmm. and that's a great question because i think when we ask people what they hope will change underneath some of them, like they might say, I'll have more confidence or I'm doing it for me. And that's true. But I think that there's also an underlying belief that it'll bring you closer to people and you will become the object of other people's envy. It's about power in, in a hierarchy of what's desirable. And so, so when people envy you, you know, you've made it. You've made it, except that's also hard to manage right if somebody if somebody's if somebody's jealous of you or they're envious of you then you you, you kind of get a bit um what's the word uh, maybe apprehensive or or weary about their presence like are they going to harm me are they going to undercut me are they going to use information against me are they going to am i going to be like the object of their contempt like will i will i inherit or absorb their bad vibes you know that kind of thing well, so it's stressful if somebody's envious of you <laughs> well yeah one of the things that's interesting about that for me is that i've been on the other end of that i've been the person who was envied in a number of occasions where people were assuming things about me, not in evidence, right? Their assumption by yeah. looking at my life 
is that I ne- no, don't experience X, Y, Z, W hardship. I've never been through this or that or the other. And I'll never forget being on a stage, giving a, 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 t- a talk about um, the resolution of trauma and the fact that, you know, one can actually get to a place where the trauma is in the past. And, and is no longer capable of being triggered. And I had a woman stand up in the room and say, well, that's easy. You've never been through anything. Now, anybody who knows me knows I've actually been through quite catastrophic trauma. So I was like, and I had post-traumatic yes. stress disorder, like crippling post-traumatic stress disorder for many years. And so I was like, well, that's I mean, it. you have a book about it. Yeah, I've written about it. So I was like, well, that's a really interesting thing to say, because actually, I'll give a trigger warning and I'll talk about it. Well, then they were angry that I the person was angry that I didn't mention it. And I said, well, I don't mention it because it's not how I identify myself. That's not the identity I put there. But I but for me, that stands out as a time where somebody just makes all sorts of assumptions. They're hugely envious or and or jealous of you. They're actually envious or jealous of a picture. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways, if you're successful um, and and you want to mitigate the evil eye, the bad energy, the contempt from other people, tell them about your faults, tell them about your flaws, tell them about your ups and downs, you know, break and like dismantle that idealistic image. Cause it's not, it doesn't serve anybody when you're seen as like godlike. It's, it's much better if they see you as a human because then you can learn from each other and you can actually build better relationships, right? (laughs) If, if those hierarchies are like really embedded and we take them seriously, well, we can't connect with each other because we're thinking about who's superior and who's inferior, right? So why would we spend time with one another? And and, it's really, it's really difficult because I agree with you, but I also know that sometimes no matter what you do to dismantle it, it doesn't dismantle. And I mean, like I have had situations with people where I've been like, this is me, right? Here are the warts and all here are the, you know, like here are the things, you know, I can, I'm being authentic. And it was still, but you, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, no, don't, don't put me up there. And I think, I do think one of the things you were saying earlier, I do think like societally, one of the things that we do, and it's part of how we're sold things, is put people on pedestals because that, you know, all you had to do was watch the, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial to get a real sense of that, mm. you know, that that's what we put out there. But there are two things I want to make sure we cover. So let's do the practical one first, which is, so we've got jealousy. And yes. for in relationship, what are the some of the best ways you think to kind of manage these things and deal with them within yeah. open relationships, and but also within monogamous relationships? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because jealousy is not something that is reserved for people in open relationships. If you're in a monogamous relationship, you really, really need to be attuned to your own jealousy because it will show up at some point, right? You could be in a monogamous relationship and start to feel jealous when your partner spends more time at work on a big project, is spending a lot of time with a co-worker, is caring for an aging or palliative parent, right? There's so many ways in which it might feel symbolically like your partner's being taken from you or somebody else is threatening your relationship. And that will occur. So we need to be able to talk about that. Um, You know, you could be in a public place and your partner's maybe looking at somebody else. You could feel jealous. Are you going to scold them? Are you going to have a playful conversation about it? What do you want that approach to look like? So first off, I would say whether, regardless of your relationship orientation, right? Open, monogamous, poly, Uh, whatever you see yourself as, I think you need to have a conversation with yourself about your own experiences in triads. So in groups of three people at work, in your family of origin, particularly with siblings, um, in relationships, at school, et cetera, right? It's so important. So have you ever like not been invited to a party and another friend of yours was, right? That's, there's probably some jealousy there. So think about how it felt how you made sense of it and how you, how you managed, how did it affect the relationships? Um, 
So if your friend got invited to something and you didn't, and you were jealous of them, um, how did you later manage that? Because that's what's going to show up in your relationship times 10, right? Yes. So there's this book called uh, The Jealousy Workbook by Kathy yes. Labriola. Yeah. And uh, have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. And so she she says, look, before you decide, you know, what model or, or relationship orientation you want to have, do a bit of, of an assessment. Who do you know in monogamous relationships? What has your own experience of monogamy been? Um, what are the positives and negatives? What's the cost benefit analysis of being in a monogamous relationship? Who do you know where a monogamous relationship has worked or failed? She wants you to think about your role models, whether they're yeah. on TV, in your community, in your social circle, and then do the exact same exercise for people who are in open relationships. Who do you know? Who are your role models? What has it been like for you? And really evaluating the just the amount that you're able to tolerate, work, what works really well for you, right? Because if you can experience, if you experience jealousy, but it's tolerable and you work through it and it makes your relationship stronger, you're a good candidate to have, you know, kind of a non-traditional relationship model. Yep. If it feels really anxiety inducing, then you wouldn't be such a good candidate, right? So you shouldn't just do it because it'll give you street cred. <laughs> right. I do that with people all the time. Um, you know, when, whenever I work with people on relationship style, I have them go back and analyze their early life relationships and go back and analyze previous relationships and talk to people. And one of the things that I often say is, did you play well with others when you were a kid? Were you the kid who liked to share? My husband tells everybody, yeah. I was the kid who loved to share my toys. He really doesn't uh -huh. have issues around who I am with. As long as he's ascertained it's safe, you know, I mean, he has issues with me being safe and everything being okay. But he was the kid who shared his toys. He says, I'm a voyeur. I share my toys. He was compersive early on as a kid. So yes. he enjoys seeing that. So for him, being non-monogamous is actually comparatively easy than it would be for somebody who was the kid who didn't want anybody else to touch their toys. Yes, yes. And I was the kid that didn't want anyone to touch my anything. And then as an adult, I've evolved to kind of loving the idea of sharing resources, ideas, partners, all of that. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Look, we all get to share something. I often tell my, my friends, I just love it when my, my friends get along with each other, you know, and there's a oh, kind of, there's a compressive element to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, I mean, um, what's important is that by that is that you can actually change that orientation, but you have yes. to be aware of it, number one, and then you have to be able to work, be yeah. willing to work on it, number two. Mm. And if you say, I don't get jealous ever, like you, Dr. Bisbee, have lots of experience. So I'll let you have it. Well, <laughs> you know? think, but I mean, when I, most people are like, I don't get jealous. I wouldn't say Sorry, ever. I was going to say when most, I wouldn't, wouldn't say, say ever. ever. Okay. No, I mean, I, I, okay. you know, I can, if I'm in a new relationship, mm. I can see occasions where I might get jealous. So I wouldn't say I never get jealous. But I don't okay. get jealous in this 13 and a half year relationship anymore. You know, we yes. are well past that. And I think that's that's an important point, right? So I sometimes talk to people about what does it mean to create a foundation? And when will you know you have a strong enough foundation that can handle openness? Some people can do it right from the beginning of a relationship. Others have to wait and they have to open and do temporary closures, right? Because it's just, there's a lot of learning and growing that's happening. You don't, it's, these aren't just ready-made skills that you come into the world with, Absolutely. right? Um, and I think for a lot of folks who say, I don't get jealous or I'm not a jealous type, I would say that's totally fine but be open to the idea that you might unexpectedly experience it. And if you don't identify it, it's going to come out in other ways, right? Yes. You could neglect your partner. You could be passive aggressive. You uh, could pick fights about other things. You'll pick fights or you'll criticize them, or you'll talk about like 
jealousy comes out in other ways, right? So you could put your partner down, you, you could criticize them, you could pick fights about chores. Um, there are these other like other mundane or innocuous conflicts that become really big because that's the way you're processing your jealousy. Right. And I think that's really important um, because people, we often do that if we're not aware, if we're not paying attention, if we're not doing active work on ourselves, be that in therapy or with a peer, um, if we're not doing active work on ourselves, then things can get convoluted without us noticing. You know, it's so easy easy to have things. And so you mentioned in the article, Schodenfraude, which I I never pronounce right, but I love- Me neither, it's fine. I love that concept. And that German concept (laughs) of gaining joy out of other people's loss. I mean, it sounds really horrible, but we don't we all experience that? I mean, I think anybody who doesn't admit that is is lying, just saying, right? That you see yeah. somebody that's really, you know, been big and 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 everything's been perfect. And for whatever reason, you don't like that. And one of the things you're raising is that because you're envious of that, that person, maybe that's one reason why you wouldn't like that. Or maybe because you know yeah. behind the scenes they're an asshole. That's another one, you know, where you know behind the scenes they're an absolute asshole, but they're getting all this positive attention and everybody thinks they're the bee's knees. And then suddenly they have a comeuppance and you feel this strange sense of glee around it. That's schadenfreude. <laughs> yes, that is schadenfreude. And, you know, I uh, we don't talk about that very much because it's not even a, a word in, our, in the English language. The closest thing we would have is sadism but it's not quite the same uh, it's not quite the same but that you know some sadistic tendency could also be diagnostic of, of envy but in this case schadenfreude you know we sometimes feel that glee or glory or satisfaction but culturally it's not appropriate to talk about right um you, you usually don't want to say oh i feel a bit satisfied that this person didn't get what they wanted um but I mentioned it in the article because, you know, you don't have to make an announcement that you're happy at somebody else's loss, but just to be aware that that could be a diagnostic tool to let you know that you're experiencing envy. Underneath it, you were envious of something they possessed. I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I, had, I experienced that um, relatively recently and was appalled mm-hmm. because, because the thing <laughs> that I had that feeling about, and it was quite fleeting, was, was a horrible thing that I wouldn't wish on anybody, right? And um, this person had this thing happen. And I was, you know, I, I, it, it was somebody that I have been envious of at various points. Um, and, um, and so I was like, you know, I was like, cause I didn't feel the person deserved the things they were getting. And, you know, I was like, I'm working so hard for this shit. And you don't do anything, you know, that that's, that's classic. Yeah. And that's a great example of classic envy, right? I work my ass off for this shit and, you know, I'm not getting where I think I should be. You do nothing. And there it is. Right now, as I said earlier, as I said earlier, a lot of the times you're wrong when you think that not always, but, you know, recognizing that we don't really know what's going on with another person unless they're showing everything and telling everything. But even when you're not, you know, if you have that kind of envy, I mean, for me, when I look at that, it's like, okay, how do I re- work with this and redirect this? Because this isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had mm-hmm. that when this horrible thing happened and I had that fleeting thought. And I thought, oh, that's awful, right? Only an awful person would think that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're terrible. Yeah, Just I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm like, I'm human, right? And I get that. But my, my initial response at myself was like, Oh my God, right? How could you possibly feel any joy at this person's horrible misfortune? That's terrible. Look, I think one thing that we have to acknowledge is that there are people who have some advantages um, that are systemic in nature, right? It's not like it comes back to our, 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 our anti-oppressive lens when we recognize that not everybody starts out in the same place. And when we think about career advancement or popularity, that has to do with chance, luck, networks. And chance and luck are also sometimes, they look different 
when you have networks and money and access and opportunity and all of that. So when somebody gets a lot of stuff as a function of their privilege, you know, it makes sense for you to be envious. I think one thing we have to think about is, is that going to motivate me to work harder toward the same goal? Am I going to just think about gratitude and think about what change am I affecting? What is my end goal? Am I accomplishing what I want in the parameters that I'm, you know, being presented with uh, or on the scale that I'm able to? Um, Or do I want to counter identify? Do I want to see myself as, do I want to, say like, if this person makes me feel bad and I can never have what they have, maybe I need to change my measuring stick or I need to live life a bit differently, you know? And I think a lot of people in open relationships, poly relationships do that already. Yeah, and I mean, and it's certainly something that I do as a human. I mean, it's something that I recognized earlier on. And I think this is about being other in whatever way that you're other. Um, You know, that that when you look at the club and look at the club and look at the club and know that you're never going to get in because it's, there's nothing that you could change that would allow you to be in that club, right? Right. So things like ethnicity and race are things, and sexuality to a degree, are things yes. that, that are things that are not changeable to get into the mainstream club that we're usually shown. Yes. Then the question is, what do I do with that? Do I want to spend my whole life And I think that's where you're talking about people who are really more systemically envious, you know, your whole life with that bitter taste in your mouth. Or do I want to look at, well, how do I deal with this in a different way? I'm going to create my own club. That was always my solution. I'll I'll create my own club. (laughs) I'll start the club and I'll gather the people I want in the club. And then I'll make the club popular so people will want to join the club. I love that. Now, the only thing I would say is a word of caution. When we create our own club, if that club is a polyam or a polycule club (laughs) and we want to do things differently than other people, right? Uh, We're like, I have different value system. I want to do love and sharing of emotional and material resources in a different way. We have to also ask ourselves like, Am I so afraid of jealousy that I'm embedding myself in something where I can hide negative emotions? Because I've seen that show up. That's true as well. Because um, so one of the things that I talk with people about a lot in terms of struggle is that ability if you create your own club over here, but can you actually still interact in the mainstream club? So I always say to people, the thing is I pass. And I passed because mm-hmm. I learned how to pass. Yes. Now, at this stage in my life, I choose not to a lot of the time, right? Uh-huh. But, but, you know, I would choose to pass in a variety of circumstances. And one of the reasons I thought that that was important wasn't to gain the privilege, though that's nice, that's a, a benefit, but was to actually be yeah. able to translate and communicate and deal with the things that come up. So to deal with the inequities, you have to be able to be in there to to start dealing with the inequities. You can't just deal with them from here. There has to be that place where you face. So yes, I totally agree with that. A thousand (laughs) percent. Yes. And it's not easy. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily something you would choose. And that's the other point for people. You know, there are things we just don't choose, period. That's life. Yeah, that that is true. That is absolutely true. And I, and, and I think that's where we have to recognize that the experience of jealousy and envy are not all negative, right? But we are taught to repress or disguise those emotions because they make us, we think that it makes us an awful human, which you also said you yeah. experienced not too long ago, right? And so- um, I think we have to be a bit kinder to ourselves, let ourselves feel it, and then decide what is the next step? What do I want to do with it, right? Do Because there, there's some context where if you're feeling jealous, maybe you need to talk to your partner about something they did was like, maybe it was inappropriate. Like we didn't talk about you flirting with other people. That does make me feel very vulnerable. What is your intention behind that? Um, 
what is your end game? You know, there's some serious conversations that need to happen. Like people could be together for a long time and I wouldn't assume a foundation. The foundation comes from comfort and like attachment security. And you can feel securely attached through conversation, proximity, closeness, trust, predictability. And, you know, that has to be articulated in some way. And yes, and you have to be mindful of your attachment style from when you were growing up. And if you haven't worked on that at all, then if you're typically um, anxiously attached, no matter how much you try, you're going to be likely anxiously attached as an adult. You know, it, it, unless you work on that, you're going to carry that attachment style through. So you may be in a long term relationship thinking you have a foundation, but actually your attachment style is one that doesn't lend itself to a secure foundation. And it is why I always say this and people get tired of hearing me say it, but I'll say it until, you know, I don't know, forever. Um, you've got to do your work. <laughs> There's just no way around it. If you want to make progress in these things, and this is addressed to anybody, I don't care what your relationship style is. If you want to, when people keep telling me, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy. Well, if you want more happiness, times of happiness, there's no such thing as, you know, I sit at the happiness pinnacle 24 seven forevermore into the night because that's not how life is. Although that is nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it just doesn't work that way. But if you want more happiness rather than less happiness, then you need to actually do your own personal work. That's where you can affect change. So while I think it's important to talk to your partner around things when you're jealous around things that sometimes they have done something inappropriate or you don't know what their intention is. I also warn people not to base the way they deal with jealousy on changing somebody else's behavior. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a, there's a line here, right. Between accountability from somebody else based on your relationship agreement because um, sometimes people could say, oh, I don't want you to flirt with other people. And then they go and do that. You know, so there, there's something about the relationship agreement yes. that needs to be clarified and then people have to adhere to it. Right. And when someone feels jealous. There's there's many times where it's appropriate to talk about it with your partner, because it might mean shifts in your rules, especially if you decided to be open or you said it's okay to flirt with other people and then suddenly you you're unexpectedly jealous right, right. that's important to talk about um but I, I totally agree that you know trying to change somebody is not going to work very well so if you meet somebody and on date two you notice that they're a flirty person they're affectionate with other people and you don't like that you should just appreciate from the beginning that's something you're going to work on. You're not going to, that's not something you're going to change in them. In fact, just, you know, honor that that's what drives you toward them, you know? So that's not going to change. Well, and the other thing is, and one of the things that I say to people is it's like, okay, so you mentioned gratitude in your article when we talk about envy. Yeah. I think it's a really useful thing. You know, it's somewhat twee. People talk about it a lot now, and, but, but there's value in this. The reason it's being talked about yes. because there's value in this to actually take five minutes and think about, well, what do I actually have and what do I actually want? Because sometimes we're envious of things and we don't really want them. I had a friend who was talking. One thousand. Yeah, right. Go right. ahead. Tell me. Give me the example. So yeah, I yeah. We, we're envious of things. And I think when we realize what what the cost is, what package it comes with, you know, so I've met people who work in, in you know, they have a, a fabulous income in the corporate world. And I'm envious of the money they have in their account and what they're able to buy with it. But when they tell me about what their day to day life looks like, it's it's demystified for me a bit. I'm like, well, that's quite a that would be they enjoy that. So good for them. But that would feel like a cost for me. And I would yep. say, well, that's not something I would want. Right. So. <laughs> I'm still envious of the money, but I don't want the whole package. Right. And so I have a friend who was talking to me recently about um, me being on television. Right. And she was like, oh, that's so amazing and being recognized. And I would love that. And da, 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 da. And I was like, OK. She's more gregarious than I am. And that sounds funny to people because people think of me as very gregarious. 
but I actually need a significant amount yeah. of time on my own. But I was like, do you really think that this is what you want? Like, yeah, yeah, I know it is. And I said, okay, so imagine that you go to um, a small event. So I was at a small event at a perfumer's, had a small event. I love yeah. perfume and, and uh, I know him and he's amazing. And he was talking about the background of all these things that he created. And um, it was small and it, I was there to enjoy myself. Imagine somebody comes up to you as soon as you have the first five minutes to talk to the people, you know, and says, Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And tells you all about themselves. Yes. She was like, no, I wouldn't like that. I said, or they stop you when you're walking down the street and it's, you know, not just to say, Hey, I like what you did. Let's take a selfie. Mm -hmm. which was the bit that she thought would be fun. They stop you and they tell yeah. you the story of their life right in the middle of the supermarket or when you're getting a manicure, or it, you suddenly have this influx of people on social media who just feel entitled to your time. Oh, yeah. And she was like, well, but wouldn't that be great? You have more clients. I said, oh, no, 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 no. They don't want to pay for your time. <laughs> they feel, and so I used to give um, a certain amount, uh, an intro session for free for people who wanted to work with me so we could talk through whether we would be good a good fit. And I don't do that anymore. And, mm. and my reason is because I can't, because when the show came out, people started signing up for those sessions just to talk to me. Ah. And so I would have, you know, a ton of sessions with people who never intended to become clients taking up the time I need to earn the money that I need to pay the bills. Right. Mm. And there's, so there's, there, so I said, do you really want that? And she was thinking about it. She's like, actually, no, I don't want any of that. Right. So in that, in that instance, we're talking about how envy really for, so for the people who don't want to be your clients, but want your time, how they idealize you in a way and they want something you possess, which is, your knowledge and your time and your expertise. And they really, they're trying to get proximity to you for it. And that proximity, it doesn't feel like it's authentic in that it, it comes with a, there's a clear thing that they want, but it's not about- There's no um, exchange. There's no exchange. There's no exchange, exactly. Right. And so exactly. the friend of mine who was envy, envious of all of this stuff, I was like, no, this is what comes with, with being- visible in the public eye um, or people feeling they have a right to comment on your appearance or they have a right to comment on what you do or they, right. She was like, Oh, none of that sounds pleasant to me. Right. So it's just well, good. Of, Cause none of it is. <laughs> right. So I was like, I'm not saying there aren't pleasant things. There are loads of things I love about it, but it isn't, Oh, isn't this wonderful? And nothing is, is problematic. And that I find a lot when people are envious, including myself, that we're not seeing the whole picture. Just like you said, right. you're, you're envious of the money in the bank. But actually, when you look at what they have to do for the money in the bank, you're like, yeah, no, not for me. Hmm. Not a trade-off I want to make. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I've been thinking about jealousy even later in life so outside of ne not necessarily the context of a romantic relationship but i I've, I've seen recently how adults in my therapy practice older adults when uh, a parent or an uncle passes away how there is a kind of jealousy or competition around like who did they love more who did oh. they trust more who do they leave more things to? And it's not just about the will. It's about how the postmortem stories are told, you know? And so it's interesting how, you know, jealousy isn't a thing you grow out of. It, it follows you. It follows you in, in many, in many ways. Well, and I think, you know, I think it's, that's an important thing to state because I don't think you grow out of any emotions. I think you may find times in your life where you feel something more than others or situations where you might age out of it. Like in a relationship, you might age out of it when you've built the foundation, but that feelings are feelings. And we, we have that basic setup for life. And so we need to be mindful of that. 
that, you know, different situations are going to pull up these emotions. Yes. And I think for people who haven't had an opportunity to explore uh, what jealousy looks like for them, um, they should really take a step back and challenge the assumption that they don't experience the jealousy and then think about what are the unique ways that it's creeping up in my life. So for example, I remember when um, my partner was really into some someone else and we were in an open relationship and I was fine with it. And then when they spent more time together, he tried to have a conversation with me saying, Raheem, are you jealous about this? Are you okay with this? Like, how does this feel? This is different than what our, our usual rules allow. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with it. And I realized later that to some degree I was fine with it, but because I had a story about myself as that I'm like securely attached, you know, I didn't get to think about how my avoidance of the relationship itself and my reinvestment of energy into my work life was actually an expression of jealousy, right? Uh, And it took me a while to acknowledge that. And also I think, yeah, I think if you don't have the, that's because of our stories about ourselves. If you don't have the space to actually re-examine that, now I'm presenting you with something different. Would you like to take a step back and, and look at it? Because it's something different in this situation. Also, I think there's, exactly. there's, there's another, there, there's times where the reason somebody isn't feeling je- jealous or envious is they don't want the thing anyway. So they look really cool, <laughs> yes. right? It's so I was, I'm thinking in terms of a relationship that I was in where um, I began to spend more time with somebody else and he really wanted me to spend more time with, some, with somebody else because he wanted more time to himself. So he was feeling all magnanimous about not being jealous and not being envious and oh, well, he was cool. And this was a relationship where I experienced quite a bit of jealousy and he was so cool and he was uh-huh. better than I was. But actually what it was, was he wanted me to, to, to be out. He wanted me to be doing other things because he didn't want to spend that time with me. <laughs> so it's- and so, but that's, that's, you know, that's classic of an avoidant person. So it would be better if they said, you know, it's not that I'm not jealous, but I'm wanting more alone time. So if that yeah. was a thing you you were going to invest time in, I feel fine with that. But it's, it's particularly because I want more alone time. Otherwise, they're like, oh, nothing bothers me. Yeah. And then when something does bother them, it's too it's too humiliating to admit it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like so, I, I see a lot of passive aggressive. Well, I unfortunately have had a lot of passive aggressive people in my life. Um, is a pattern I work hard to try and avoid, but I also see a lot of that here. And I do live in the United Kingdom, which is one of the um, um, countries where passive aggressiveness is encouraged because people, <laughs> well, because high levels of politeness, high levels of politeness lead to passive aggressive behavior because you're not allowed. To well, yeah, because you also can't feeling. talk about envy, jealousy, anger, all of that. Right. So, um, and so I always remind people that passive aggressiveness is an area where you need to look at that. Well, I could go on with this forever, but people won't listen to us forever. Um, so can I ask you, um, where can people find you? And is there a specific project you want them to look out for? Look, uh, you can find all my links if you go to ladyadavan.com. It's L-A-D-Y-A-T-I-V-A-N dot com all of my socials are there if you want to follow my video podcast you can go to the cbtdive.ca uh those are the the main links i'd like to leave with you folks and dr beth bisbee i'd love to just thank you again for inviting me on here absolute pleasure absolute pleasure thanks so much for coming okay guys so next week the letter will be k don't know what we're talking about yet that's not unusual these days Um, If you've got suggestions for the show, please, please let us know. And I am continuing the offer. If you do a review of this show on any of the podcast sites, and you might have to email it to me because I won't necessarily see it. But if you do, you have entered into a draw for 20 minutes of my time for free. Um, And um, I make the draw once a month. So please do reviews. Reviews are really helpful and um, you get something in return. 
So I'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.